for me, it's always worth it to sing that song. I like that song a lot, even if the key is in rebellion on it. Um, but we, um, we must realize that whatever we think we can bring to God, we are not worthy except that he has already done it. He is the one who is worthy of worship, and he is the one who's made us worthy to worship. And that is only because of what we find in God in flesh, the incarnation, God with us, Emmanuel, the one we call Jesus. And so in, um, in worship, I am grateful. And it, it's funny because I get in trouble when I say this because I always seem to end up saying it after something goofy happens. But I was thinking about it before something could be happened. It's all right, because we're at the end of the year, and I, I can't help but be thankful for the ways so many people serve every week, and, uh, and many of you do that, and that's one of the reasons we took Sunday school off this week, is we give some of you guys a break, because we don't necessarily have somebody to fill that gap, and give everybody a, a week off, or two, two weeks off, with next Sunday as well. Um, and I, um, I just, um, I am so grateful that, the wheels turn, and they keep turning, and that God gives us the days, He gives us the weeks, He gives us the months and the years, and even as they're difficult and they're trying, because this year, as you know in my life, uh, if you've watched our family endure this year, um, it's not been a simple year to, to get through, and um, I'm thankful for God's healing. I'm thankful that on the last Sunday of 2021, I can stand to preach, and um, that I uh, have gotten to experience God's healing this year. Because when we go through His hardship, He brings healing. And whatever offering we bring, we must, we must get this in our minds, everyone. Every offering we bring, whether it's finances, whether it's ministry, whether it's a song, Every one of them, I'm going to say it one more time, every offering we bring is unworthy of our king. Even if you bring your very best to him, it will not measure up to his greatness and his holiness. And as we look at Matthew 2, and we're going to read the entire chapter today, it's a, barely a page, it'll be okay, but what we, what we find is that God brings together history for His magnification, for His glory. History happens to the glory of God. And as we see uh, the 21 year go into the past, we, many will say, glory, glory, we got through it. But now, a new year comes, and with all the hopes and the dreams and the resolutions that you might try, by the way, I like the new year because it kind of gives you an idea of a fresh start on things, but I quit using that R word a long time ago. <laughs> the resolutions. Why? Because I resolve to break that rev rev resolution. Maybe I re revolt against the resolution, revol revolution on the resolution. It happens too quickly. And so much of our life, we just have to take that moment and say, 
I give this moment to the Lord. And I'm going to have the discipline to give the next moment to Him. So yeah, I do have some goals for this coming year. What is life without a desire to improve on something? A desire to take off some weight? A desire to stay upright and not on not prone? Um, a desire to treat my family better than I did the year before, a desire to see more people come to Christ, absolutely all of those things. But we must realize that in order for any of those things to happen, the grace of God guides us. And so God, in His grace, has given us His Word, He's given us His church, and He gives us the grace to come together to bring an offering to Him. And, and, the, and we've sung more than once this morning, the, the best offering we bring is the one from here. Because our heart is what is eternal. Whatever we bring, whatever happens, whatever finances we might bring and put in the offering plate, it's temporary. Who we are matters. This morning we look at Matthew 2, and it's a, it's a special passage, it's a confusing passage, it's a challenging passage, but it shows us ultimately fulfillment, and that's why we come today, is to see the fulfillment of God's salvation so that we might be able to worship the King. So, we are going to read all of Matthew chapter 2 this morning. If you are able, I invite you to stand. I know that uh, it's a long passage today, but I like to give the reverence to the God of the Word in that. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them at what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I too may worship him, may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, that when then it was fulfilled with what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Our Lord, you th- give us your word. We, uh, we ask that you give us understanding of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is an interesting passage to, to visit, and it's one that we frequently do during the Christmas season. We see in the nativity, you see that there are three wise men. I have got them on that side right now. Uh, it would be southeast if you're on the compass. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, the three wise men with the camels, and uh, they're dressed as kings here. Now, there are many who take issue with using uh, the nativity or the creche because so often we put all the characters that we find of the Christmas story in one place at the same time. Well, we find the story of the wise men in Matthew, and we find in the story of the shepherds and the angels in Luke. Did I say that right? Okay, so... Uh, we, we put those things together. It's called systematic theology. Uh, that's the uh, academic term for it. And we come together with this picture, really, of why we are here. And that is to worship. And, you know, you see animals, you see angels, you see rich people, you see poor people. You see people from different countries, different ethnicities, all coming to worship this baby, this child as it has here in Matthew chapter 2. Now, uh, the, the Magi are mysterious fellows. And many times we sang a song on Friday night that we three kings of Orients are. It's a wonderful song that is based out of the Christmas story. But we don't know that there were three of them. They, there's no evidence here in this passage that they were kings. And it, we don't think they came all the way from the Orients. Sorry, but it's an amazing song, and thank you to Zach and Richard for joining in and singing it with me on Friday night. Um, when we see that they, they come, they come in this place to worship. Why do we see all these come together? There are reasons that these traditions develop out of uh, the Christmas accounts here. The visit of the Magi or the wise men. Magi just means that. It means wise men. They first, one of the first places we see it appear is in the prophecy of Daniel, chapter 2, when Daniel is put into leadership over the wise men of Babylon. Did you know that? That Daniel, a Jew, was a wise man, one of the magi. And so the tradition holds that in the 600 years since the time of Daniel, that there this prophecy that Daniel taught 
was taught then to the generations in Babylon. Now, we don't have biblical record of that, obviously. We even have 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. But it stands to reason that that's a, a real possibility. That Daniel, because he wrote that prophecy in exile, that those words carried forth in that place as well. Because, you know, generations later, as the Jews returned to Jerusalem, many likely stayed in Babylon as well. So those traditions passed on. But we find that they came to worship him. Why? Because they saw his star when it rose. Now, uh, in other translations, uh, verse 2 will say, we saw his star in the east. This is a mysterious happening. Last year at this time, remember we, we, uh, we saw three or four, and I don't even remember now, it's been a year, planets converge. You remember that? And, it, and, and if I took my glasses off when I can't see real clear, it looked like one big blob right there. Right? Now, we had these wonderful telescopes where we can see them all come together. So it's been, um, what's the word? Oh, I, I lost the word. But it's been proposed that what the wise men saw was a convergence of the planets. That it looked like a star that was all bunched up together. And, and one of the cool things I got to do one time in, in a, an astronomy class in college is we, we rolled back all of the, the rotations of the, the stars and the, the planets for 2,000 years, and you actually did see a, a convergence of the planets come together. Well, we see, though, that here more than one happened, Right? So these wise men were watching the skies, and they saw this brilliance appear. They call it a star. And whatever, it, whatever caused it for them to see what it is, it's definitely something that is supernatural in its origin. Because all creation is brought together from the Creator, from God. There's a reason that God brings all these times together. I don't know if that's exactly what they saw, but I, I see the second thing as they come and they, uh, we get down here, we're going to talk about that a little bit more as a very specific thing that happened for, in order for God to see fulfillment of his word. One of the reasons that they call them kings is something that we find in Psalm 72. Now, if you just turn back there really quickly, so, and there's some, I'm going to bounce into the Old Testament a bit here on these things. I already mentioned Daniel. But Psalm 72, what you find is that, um, again, this, this picture of bringing uh, gifts from kings happens. Now, Psalm 72, if, you, if you're looking in your Bible, will say it's of Solomon. So Solomon wrote this, not David. Solomon's David's first, or his son that became king, not his firstborn, but the son that became the king over Israel, the last uh, of the united kingdom. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. Now, those are uh, regions surrounding Israel, north, south, and east. Okay? And the the reason that we end up pulling this picture of kings to the wise men is because of passages like this. Now, is that particularly messianic? If you read Psalm 72, I don't know if it leans that heavily that direction. There is some messianic uh, uh, thought in it. 
But one of the reasons we end up calling them kings is because of passages like that. That the, the kings of the nations would come and worship this anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Whatever it may be, really, who they are is less important than what they are doing. In verse 6, uh, we see what happens when the chief priests have told them where the Christ was to be born, or the Messiah. In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. What prophet? It's Micah. Find that in Micah chapter 5. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When we see this all come together, we find that this place, Bethlehem, is pretty significant in the Old Testament. It's where Boaz and Ruth meets, and they end up being great-grandfather, or two, to King David. Where does Samuel, the prophet, go to find a king for Israel? He goes to Bethlehem. And now, hundreds of years later then, with Micah, he prophesies that the Messiah would come from them, the Christ. And we find that this little village outside of uh, of Jerusalem that really holds no geographic significance, it's a place where shepherds are. That's a significant thing right there. There's a lot of sheep in Bethlehem. We find that God brings the king from this little place. Why? Because the God king, Jesus, is the good shepherd. He desires to lead his people. And in leading them, they would trust and follow him. So this king that could demand our worship chooses to show himself as a shepherd. One who would be followed rather than one who would lord over. Now, is he the king of kings and the lord of lords? Actually, those names all appear for him. He is all of those things. But I think it's a really important thing that we realize that God shows himself to us in Christ, the good shepherd. He wants us to follow him. His disciples are just that. A disciple is a follower. It's a learner from a teacher. They're not the knights of the round table. They're those he sends who become the apostles. This ruler comes there. So Herod draws them back together, and he ascertains from them, it says in verse 7, that the, what time the star had appeared. And he, and he sent them to Bethlehem, and go find the child, come back, and tell me where he is, because I want to worship him. To which we know, as we keep reading, we can say lies, lies, lies. Herod was paranoid. He was an appointed political king by Rome. He was not a Jew. He was from Idumea, who was Edomites. They were the Edomites. They were the descendants of Esau. Jacob and Esau were the twin brothers, remember, Esau was always in competition to Jacob, who became Israel. We see this conflict, and now, because Herod has this paranoia, we see what he actually desires to do. 
He wants to hold on to this phony power that he thinks he has. And so he says, come back so I can worship him. What do we find out later? He wants to kill him so that there is no rival to the throne. The sad part for Herod is the realization that he has not made that he never really held that authority anyway. The king of kings is this child, this Messiah. So they go before him, they fall down and worship him, these magi, these wise men, these, as we've pictured them here, kings, which they weren't likely. They go into the house, they see the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. This is an important realization because of ways people take things. The mother is not worshipped. The father in this place, Joseph, is not worshipped. Remember, this is his perspective. This is the, the father's perspective. The child is worshipped. They're in Bethlehem still because they didn't have a nice minivan to put their family back in to take them back up to Nazareth. Right? That's when they came down from, from the area of Galilee. So they, they've, they've moved in to, to Bethlehem. They're still there. They're living there. And they were, uh, they, they are given this offering. Now, this offering is significant for numerous reasons, and I brought it up with the kids earlier, that the, the substance of the offering matters. Gold, because he is king. Frankincense, because he is the great high priest. Myrrh, because it prophesied of his burial, of his death, that he would suffer. But also, immediately, immediately, they have to get up and run. Now, you don't get a chance. They didn't have ATM cards in the day. It's not like they could go back and you know swipe the plastic and get the cash. If you're moving to Egypt, you need some money. So this actually gave some um, to a, some some income, some some provisions to a probably a rather poor family to do what had to be done. Obedience takes provision. God always provides for what he needs to be done. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in the dream. Rise, take the child his mother, flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So, uh, this angel is important. Remember, he appears in chapter 1. Now, this, they, they receive a message, the Magi do, from, in a dream. He speaks to, the, the angel speaks to Joseph in a dream. There's legitimacy to the, the spoken word through God's messengers. But it always lines up to his purposes and to his truth. And so, they, when you hear from the Lord, you need to do what he tells you to do. If they hadn't here, we would have had some problems, right? If, they, if Joseph had gone, you know, I had a strange dream, Mary. That's probably nothing. What would have happened? We'd have lost the baby Jesus. Why? What we find in verse 16 and following there. But um, before that, and I, and I skipped this part, verse says, they, they saw the star, another star appeared, and it went and showed them where the child lived. 
Now, this to me looks like something that is absolutely supernatural that God has done. Because how do you, I mean, the star points to the house. God wanted them to find this baby, this child now, to worship him. And then their radical obedience to the word of the Lord, they went back to their place from another way. Um, verse 14, he rose and took, this is Joseph, he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. That is from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Hosea is uh, not uh, typically what we find to be one of the messianic prophets, but we find that God has drawn uh, the word there. And it's interesting, and, and it takes some time to work through all the prophecies about the Messiah. There's over 300 prophecies about the Messiah that are fulfilled in Jesus. Which, by the way, the odds of that happening are infinitesimal. They're pretty well impossible, except by the hand of God, for this to happen. So Herod kills the kids. He sent all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region that were two years old or under. Who is the most innocent of life. It's the babies. But yet Herod is paranoid. And we see fulfilled Jeremiah chapter 31. It says a voice was heard in Ramah weeping and a loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children because she refused to be comforted because they are no more. The significance there, Rachel is jo Jacob's favorite wife. I have a favorite wife. And I just have one, thankfully. Jo uh, Jacob ends up with four, right? And Rachel is the one who has a hard time having children. And she has Joseph, and then she has Benjamin, and she dies in childbirth with Benjamin, and she's buried where? In Bethlehem, if you go look back in the Old Testament there. This fulfills where that comes from. Je Judah is one of those children. This is the tribal property, the tribal land, Bethlehem in Judah. We see this fulfillment. Again, fulfillment and worship. Matthew chapter 2. When Herod dies, he says to Joseph, in a dream, the angel of the Lord, rise, take this child, and go back to the land of Israel. Jacob, sorry, Jacob, Joseph wisely pays attention to the politics, right? What's going on in the world around me? Well, Herod may be dead, but guess who's the king? His son. And you see, throughout the New Testament, you actually see his kingdom split into four, this, his governing area. Kingdom is a relative word in this time. But this governing area is split into four parts. Archelaus is the one who's governing over the land in the region of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. So where do they go? They go to Nazareth. In John chapter uh, 1, I believe it's John chapter 1. Yeah, it's John chapter 1. We see that uh, Philip and Nathaniel have this conversation. And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, he says, Jesus of Nazareth. And what does he say? Uh, Philip responds to him and says, I'm sorry, Nathaniel responds to him and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, Nazareth... In that day, 
It's the same thing people say about Pueblo today. Right? Can anything good come out of Pueblo? Yes, it's true. But in this time, Nazareth was, was the place nobody bothered with. They didn't play and go there. For me, you know, I, I think of towns around little, the little rival towns from where I grew up, and I would say, can anything good come from Hatch? And you would say green chili. And some of you would argue that here because that's the region I grew up in. Some of you would say Pueblo is better, but don't get into that right now. Can anything come from this place of nothingness? What does that say? Isaiah chapter 53, it fulfills there. There is no specific place where he says it will be called a Nazarene. What the the picture of the Nazarene is, is that he's a nobody. Because Nazarene is a nothing place. Nazareth is a nothing place. Isaiah chapter 53 is that fulfillment. We see the Messiah come. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He was a nobody. This humble baby in this tiny, poor family is the one who will come and save the world from their sins. All of this chapter, chapter 2, and I know I've flown through it, and I know I've probably pushed it a little longer than you were expecting to be here, but you didn't have Sunday school today. It's going to be okay. We see the fulfillments of what God purposed from the dawn of history. God desires our love, and He shows us His love through His Son. And when you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, read through all of those prophecies found about the, the salvation of the Lord through the, uh, the book of Genesis and into the law, fulfillment through that, we find that God's purpose all along the way was that we would worship Him. He knew we couldn't in our own states because we are sinners. But He made the way. And so when you look at a passage like Matthew chapter 2, we read it almost like mythology sometimes. That this is just something we read once a year to make us feel good about Christmas time. But God is writing history in this moment that it would come and He would save His people from their sins. Matthew chapter 1. God with us. Emmanuel. And so... Coming to the, the final Sunday of a year that has not been easy for the vast majority of the people in this room, whether you've been dealt with, dealt with illness or injury or, or loss or financial issues or whatever it may be, remember that God has redeemed your life for His purpose. And the hardship that we endure, what did we read just now in Isaiah 53? Even the Messiah was despised and rejected. He desires our worship. He shows us His grace. He endures suffering. He lives in the flesh to pay the price for our sin. Not for His sin, because He was perfect. He was sinless, and we can get into that later in the Gospels. But He is the perfect sacrifice to bring fulfillment to all that God 
brings us in His Word. God loves you. He has reason and purpose for your life. He's calling you to Him. He says, and this is a great time as we come into a new year in this coming week to renew your dedication to learning His Word and to realizing the great love that He has for His creation. We are here to worship. In no way are we on our own worthy. But He makes us such. We will always mess up. We will always have an issue with something that we have. But God, in His grace, made it so we can bring our best to Him. And our best at sometimes, you know, sometimes you just didn't get that one hair combed. Or for me, it was this little notch right here, shaved this morning, looking in the mirror. None of us are perfect. But God is gracious. He loves you, and He, he wants you to have that relationship with Him that He prophesies here in His Word. So you see fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, further prophecy that is fulfilled by the time of Christ, that by, the, by the life of Christ, and the worship that we are to bring to Him. Will you make this last week of 2021 a time of worship leading into a new year that is rededicated to the blessing of the King? bless him. Lord, you are good. You are gracious. As we see all that you do and all that you have done, let us stand in awe that you loved such as us. Forgive us, Lord, for our arrogance. Forgive us of our sin. Help us to bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.